0: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
1: T's and C's apply. New South Wales, authorisation number TP-01005.
0: It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. For
1: BF Goodrich celebrating 150 years. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge. Celebrating 150 years in the tyre industry, BF Goodridge will be there to drive you on your next on- or off-road adventure. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond.
2: Good morning, Patrick. And uh, I've had a magnificent week this week on the fish. I've really enjoyed my week of fishing this week.
1: Do you know what I've done with my week this week? I
2: know what you've done. I've seen... I've, build, build I've,
1: <laughs> I've built a retaining wall. You watered rocks? Yeah, but <laughs> built a retaining wall, and I'm not sure how much retaining my wall that I've built is going to do, but... Did you actually build it? Dead set. Right. Not even Dave the Builder? No, not Dave the Builder. No, I was literally spent... It was all Thursday, moving bluestone bricks from the front of my property to the back and I don't know if you've ever moved or lifted bluestone bricks redmond but they're freaking heavy so we sort of started and then in the end oh. I ended up uh concreting you know putting the I'm just looking at the bri- photo the, now the, the, br- those <laughs> the, the bricks and mortar and I think I've done somewhat of a decent job it's a danger field job so it's sort of half assed <laughs> in different stages but how's the strings Time. No. It, was, it was a bit of work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually impressed. So, you did that. It was one more question. You did that. I had the trowel out yep. and I did it. Yep. At the end of it, got a little bit of, um, like, uh, what's it called? Um, use it when you're cleaning dishes. Scara. Yeah, well, like, what's, what's the other, not the scourer, what's the other, you know, maybe it is a scourer. The, the yes, rough stuff. Like a, like a This is yeah, usually me. <laughs> so, Jeez, we've started so well. Apparently, so after it sort of dried for a little bit, then I rubbed that over the top, just cleaned up the mortar, it looks bloody good, mate. I'm, Pat's landscaping. I'm
2: impressed. Pat's landscaping. You'll be, and you'll be whinging for two weeks about it, won't you?
1: Oh, I'm still recovering from it. It was two days ago. I'm still recovering from it. Oh, um, geez. Nice one. Speaking of sore backs, you've got a
2: sore back for a very different reason. My word, you have nailed the snapper. I've had a massive week on the water. And I've, like, don't get me wrong, I love my job and I appreciate my job, but it's still work. But I've had one of those weeks that I've thoroughly enjoyed, like really enjoyed. I headed over to Westernport. Uh, which I don't get to do very often, Pat. Uh, and those will be in shock that are listening. They'll say, geez, you, Western Port, like it's the bay around Melbourne, but I live in Ocean Grove. For me to get to Western Port is one hour on the ferry, then one hour to Western Port, minimum. Then to get around the other way, it's over three hours. Like it's a long way for me to go, especially when I have everything there sort of on offer here for me and yeah, my front say, doorstep. It's,
1: it's quite similar yep. in terms of what
2: it fishes, how it fishes. Well, one thing that I want to say is if. I wish that I had West, I could swap the bays. I know, I hope Port Phillip doesn't take this against me because I thoroughly enjoyed fishing Western Port. And the reason for it is the tidal impact that it has through there, Pat. It is phenomenal to watch how fast this tide changes. Mate, I fished with Gwayne and Crago, Soul Guide crew, and watching Gwayne navigate through Western Port, we went through like an area. He goes to me, Don't try this if you're by yourself. I'm like, What? Look around two hours later as we're going past, and it's a kilometer of mud and we just drove through there in 2 meters of water that's oh, really? how much the tide yep. changes like when i say kilometer of mud i'm not talking like i'm talking a kilometer out like it's that's how much the tidal impact impacts there and it um, we started off on the whiting, around the middle spit there and phenomenal like to to fish with that tide you know how much i love tide i always talk about tide and i believe it's a place that i would work out quite quickly uh, i think i would enjoy fishing there with the tide so we did the whiting in the afternoon uh, on the ebb tide uh, yeah, ebb tide. So we did the whiting. We got there around the mid-tide, and we got some beautiful fish. I landed a few fish around the fifty-centimetre mark, Pat, which was always great to see. That that's the number, I guess, in Victoria uh, angling on the whiting side of things. Fifty is that metre flathead. And working the squid strips with with what size hooks? Uh, whiting hook. We were using because they were bigger fish. I was using the uh, the four uh, the size four worm hooks. Yep. Uh, on I was still using my exactly the same rig as Port Phillip uh, extended Pat Noster with twelve pound leader, and I had a, obviously braid on just my generally my Port Phillip whiting rig exactly the same. And obviously I get tied in Port Phillip Bay as we all know the where I fish down in Queenscliff. It works quite hard and very similar tidal strength because. We fished an area where at the edge of a bank, because we're on that full moon, we knew the tides were going to be quite weak, so we wanted to find where the tide actually was going to run. So we fished the edge of that bank, we got some seriously big whiting, we landed 60 of those, which was great, because Craigo hasn't got to get on get on them too much, and I know that his mum and dad love eating fish, so they, he got to take a lot of fish home, and Gwayne did as well. I actually ended up giving mine to our good friend Paul Worsling, to be honest, on the way back because he can't catch any. <laughs> but we um hey, we go in <laughs> on <online> my man Peter. <laughs> we um uh, do like Paul. Yeah, we headed down to uh, on the squid and we got some beautiful squid for some fresh snapper bait. Uh, and then we headed down to the snapper and we started. We got to the snapper early because we did so well on the whiting. And we had the end of the um we had the end of the um what do you call it, the end of the ebb tide, and we're fishing down the bottom of Western Port, the west eastern entrance, and Gwane goes, oh, look, we might pick up a couple of fish here, but we need that flood tide to start. Because of the full moon, the way it works into the dark, we're going to get fish then. Sure enough, we, we started there. We had got two fish around that two and a half, three kilo mark. We got a, two nice gummies around eight to 10 kilo, and then the tide went to nothing, and then by the time we moved, it's so hard to explain. By the time we moved across the channel, and I'm not joking you, across the channel to the other side of it, the flood tide had already started where it had only just stopped there. So similar to Port Phillip, I know where the tide's going to work at times, blah, blah, blah. Gwen did the same thing, and I'm not joking you, we're only in six metres of water, and we would have landed close to 40 snapper from two kilo, one kilo, two kilo, right up to six and a half kilo. We're using one rod each, You cast it out, and difference with Port Phillip, I've never caught a snapper in Tide, Pat. So I've never had Tide. In the ocean, there's no Tide. I've never had Tide to catch snapper, even in Port Phillip Bay. Yeah. So I've only ever unweighted f- fished them. We're, we're using three-ounce sinkers, like a, like I fish for gummies in the South Channel. And sure enough, we cast it out in the sinker, rod holder, snapper comes up, bang. And they screamed off of that Tide. And it was really good fun to catch some snapper. I still think Port Phillip Bay snapper might go a little bit better, but... Uh, not better. I shouldn't say better. It's just it's a different. different. Yeah, I believe that the snapper in port There's no tide. They sort of go everywhere and pull line out. Where with I think because we're in such shallow water, the initial run was great. That real hammer and zzzz scream off run, it took off. And then it sort of turned its head and they come up the tide, similar to a gummy shark in the tide in Port Phillip and in Western Port. So they come up the tide and, of course, head knocking as a snapper do. Then they take another run up the boat and then you sort of put him in the net. But I think the tide works in your favour. So the fish tacks up in the tide. So awesome what, so fun. What's the key to
1: understanding how the tides work? When fishing in Western Port, because clearly, if you didn't understand how it worked, yep. you wouldn't land anywhere near the amount of fish than having the proper knowledge.
2: Yeah, and, all, and you've got to remember, I've only been to Westernport half a dozen times, but once again, it's tidal fishing, and it's the same as what I do down the bottom of the heads, just different species of fish. And to, to dumb it up, to, to make it as dumb as I possibly can, it's all about fishing the right time. Simple as that. And Gwaine knew that that tide on that moon that was going to be a better incoming tide and that's when the snapper were going to feed. It was much better to do that tide rather than fishing into dark. It was actually better to fish just as the sun went down, which is the opposite to me in Port Phillip. I'm always trying to get there before that sun goes down. So... He knew exactly where to be at the right time, understanding where the tide starts before it stops. Like, there's so many different places in Western Port, and I'm not going to be saying I'm an expert there, uh, so I won't talk like one. I've got a lot to learn there. I've got, uh, in my head, I really want to learn how it works. I don't think it'll take a lot because I've, I've got my head around tides and how banks work and how ocean currents affect that it's going to pull harder in this spot than the other, which Basically, Gwane just summed it up and everything he said, it was just made sense to me. So if you do want to fish Western Port, go there with an open mind that you need to allow for tide and be in the right place at the right time. And Gwayne does this literally for you, Pat, on Salt Guide. He explains it in his report. You need to be here on this tide. You need to be here. And I'll say, Western Port, I reckon it's a fantastic fishery, but a little bit harder to fish for your average punter. But... Well worth, well worth heading over there and uh, trying to learn it and catching some beautiful fish on offer. And the fish were, I found they were a lot redder in color over there. So obviously the heavier reef that we we're on. But Port Phillip was just as good, Pat. I got back and on the Wednesday I got back and I headed out on the Thursday and I started at 8.30 and I got my bag at King George Whiting because the swell, I know you drove down the coast a couple of times. How big was the swell during the week? Absolutely pumping. That Thursday mm- particularly was just massive. Massive. So we had that dirty water. Now I spoke about the squid eggs going to get laid, which they would be, but I could, I physically couldn't see them because it, the water was so dirty from the swell. What does that mean? It means the whiting are going to go well. So I fished the whiting, 8.30, or 9 o'clock we started. I was done by 10.30. I went to the middle of Port Phillip Bay, have not been done a day trip, and we ended up catching, oh, if we didn't catch 16 to 18 snapper up to 7.5 kilo, middle of the day, four-way, three-way hookups. It was my first proper daytime session this season, the only one I've done, and I thoroughly enjoyed catching them during during the day. Do you know why? Didn't have to get up at three in the bloody morning. (laughs) So that was really good fun. But in saying that, fantastic week. Got a snapper. I got a nice gummy as well. And... um yeah, it's really shaping up like the season for the, for the summer season. We are now in summer, so it's really, really looking good. And water temps coming up. Kingfish can't be too far away. The sharks, I know of a couple of makos and threshers being caught. So the variety of fish around Victoria is fishing phenomenal. I know up the New South Wales coast, a little bit early for the marlin, but up a bit high off Burmey, but up a bit high. They're really starting to show, which is great. Tasmania. Paul showed me a photo during the week. I dropped into Tack World Mornington to load up on bait and rob some off Paul. And he um he showed me photos of a fella that he fishes with 60 plus centimeter whiting and lots of them, Pat. Oh, you're 60, kidding. 60. So. That's pretty cool, um, and I know it, the whiting as well in South Aus is going good, and there, just waiting for the kingfish and the school tuna to to arrive. So it's really starting to heat up, Pat, as the summer comes in. Some fishing news around the country: Arvor has test has teased rather their
1: new eight oh five sport fish. It obviously adds to their extensive range they
2: already have. Redmond, but well, with Arvo around the Queenscliff Harbour, I reckon it's uh, with. I'm not picked, saying anything against Arvo, but all of my retired guys that I know have an ARVA around the Carver. I'm not joking you. There's, there'd be a dozen of them that I'm friends with that all have ARVA boats around the Queenscliff Harbour. They must be comfy. Well, a, I've, ne- I've only ever been on one.
1: Uh, Isaac Heaney, one of uh, the AFL's best players, he's in the market for a new boat at the moment. I think he's looking into a, an, an ARVA. Outboards but, or inboards? Outboard. Going on outboard, yeah, because right. a lot of them have inboards in them. They do. This is a um, very much a, a trailable boat. It's going to start at around the 130 mark with a, with a 225. Um and, and pushing up a bit higher than that, obviously they they make them you know well in excess of ten meters some of their their models. So that's an exciting one. The other one is Veach. Now we know Veach for their um, their twenty seven footer, which they make. They've also recently uh, or this week teased a twenty three, so something a little bit more manageable in terms of its size. Um, and I'm sure that's something that, that punters will be keen to go on as we see sort of this thirst for Maxi trailable boats that are able to be towed right around the country, yet still be able to reach the Marlin grounds, 50k yep. offshore in, you know, seven and Bit half, of slop. seven and a half minutes. <laughs> um, Shark Week finished up. <laughs> Shark Week finished up on Foxtel. I love Shark it's Week. It's great, isn't it? I think it is one of the most enjoyable things to watch on Foxtel. Is it Shark Week every third or fourth week? It seems to be that. I think because people love watching it. I still – watching Rodney Fox, whenever I see him sort of on different docos around – well, throughout Shark Week, but when they're talking about sort of South Australia, the fact that he sort of survived the three-and-a-half-metre shark, I think it was, that attacked him, 12 foot long, um, there's the stories from him, quite astonishing. Uh, 10,000
2: yellowtail kingfish redmen have been released in Fremantle. That'll be interesting to see how that goes regarding – Pelagic fish and the likes,
1: absolutely. So this has been um, sort of an, an initiative uh, by Recfish West, um, which is great to see the continuing that sort of stocking program. And I think if we can promote that in, you know, every state sort of gets on board, then the fishery is just going to be, you know, it, it's going to be so strong. And the the thing about releasing sort of the juvenile kingies. They grow to nearly five kilos in 18 months, so the yeah, growth fast. rate is quite astonishing to see. So not quite as fast as the... Dolphin uh, fish? Well, not the dolphin fish, but if we uh, if we skip down the Tasman, Huana <laughs> um, Agricultural announced on Facebook uh, a little while ago that over 50,000 Atlantic salmon had escaped from <laughs> one of their Tasmanian fish farm. So not sure it's a great thing for the... Um, the local environment. But if you're a fisherman, you're probably going to get some decent, uh, some decent catches. Uh, we've got to get to a break. Make sure you download our Real Adventures app. If you do, you send in a question for our social club and we announce you as the winner. You win yourself a CFX 3, all heading uh, into Christmas. It's a great gift to give your loved ones, or better yet, just keep it for yourself, Redmond. You're listening to Real Adventures. Up next, the social club uh, for BF Goodridge. And don't forget, once again, download our Real Adventures app, win yourself a CFX 3. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. It's time for the social club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it in. If we announce you as the winner each and every week, we are giving away a Dometic CFX 3. It's got a built-in ice maker. It's an absolute cracker. In time for Chrissy. Tim French is the first question, Redmond. For casual recreational use, is it okay to buy cheap eBay braid or would you
2: spend the money and get something decent from your local tackle shop? Uh, that's actually... Pretty good question. Uh, Braid's expensive, Pat, and we did speak about last week on how to make it cheaper. And if you want to listen to any of our shows, download the Real Adventures app. You can find it on any smartphone, and you'll be able to go back and listen to our previous shows on your phone when you're traveling down the highway or whatever you're doing. So back to the question. You want to be – the problem with buying cheap eBay braid is it will work. It's cheap, but it's very, very thick. Yeah, it is. So, if you are going to buy it, and I'm trying to... I've never used it, but I've seen a lot of people that have. I've bought it previously. Yeah. yeah. I know Robbie bought... Uh, even the Kmart stuff that he bought yeah. was quite... It was. It said, I think it was 10 or 12 pound on the packet, and it was as thick as my 30 pound. So, <laughs> it's, he caught. He catches whiting on it, no different to myself. So, I can't argue with it, but it depends,
1: well, it depends how much... I would think it would depends how much you're going to go
2: out fishing and, of course, what your budget yeah, is. that's the key thing, the budget, because braid is bloody expensive, so it's about making it cheaper. Even when you want to so spool your reels, buy 300 metres and only put 150 metres or even 100, say you buy 300 metres of 10-pound uh, for whiting, you can do three reels, do a hundred, a hundred and a hundred and just back it. You can back it. You can take it to the tackle store and they will do it for you. Whatever tackle store you deal with. But, and it's good to, I think it's good to go to your local tackle store because you can ask these
1: questions face to face. You can talk about the fact that, you know, I don't want to spend 80 bucks on 300 meters of yeah. you know 12 pound line. You know, what are the alternatives, you know, like you said, can I back it with something yep. and then have the final 100 metres? I, I think when it comes to buying sort of cheap products from overseas, and I, I experienced this a couple of weeks ago um, with my fly fishing reel, which was – I'd bought it ages ago. I hadn't had the opportunity to use it, and I've sort of been getting back into fly fishing down the outways. And I bought it from Hurley's Fly Fishing um, in Melbourne so I called him up. I said, this is the, the problem I'm having. I'm not sure whether it's a bearing. So he said, send it in. Um, if there's nothing too wrong, we can fix it ourselves. I'll send it back. It won't cost you a thing. If there's if, if um, you know, there's a bit more to it, we'll just let you know. Yep. So I sent it in. I think it was back within three days. He said, no, nah, it was fine. We just went through whatever it was um, in store and no cost. And it was like, you can't get that sort service. of service if you buy cheap crap from overseas, or particularly with what's happening with China at the moment with the tariffs they're sort of putting on on Australian exports. You know, I'm not sure that's a, an economy that we should necessarily be looking at supporting. Support local, support yeah, Australian support, made.
2: Support us, yeah. Support Australian made products. And just just one more uh, one more thing regarding that question is. Buying that cheaper braid as well, I probably wouldn't be doing it uh, for a fish that I guess is a bigger fish. So you might get away with the whiting because it's, they don't pull that hard and they're not going to break the line. But if you're going to go chase like a marlin – or a swordfish, or even maybe snapper, you might contemplate. Or a kingfish. Or even a they kingfish. Will test, a kingfish will test that line. So that's probably where I would spend the extra dollar in getting in getting that better quality braid rather than the cheaper stuff. Next question is from Chris Tarrant. I don't think it's the footballer, the ex-footballer, Patrick. <laughs> Aaron, how do you find new crayfish grounds? Do you use Navionics or your sonar when on the water? Uh, Chris, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, it's... To find crayfish grounds, it's very similar to how to I find all my grounds, whether it's a whiting bank, whether it's a, a gummy bank, or even snapper, for instance, offshore. I start while using my Navionics on my phone, and then I set my plan up using how close the contours are together, and then on the day, I head there with my sonar, and I look for that reef that I want to find. So... I can sit at home or can sit here now and in the ad pattern, I can go onto my phone and go, I might try this area for a cray. And I've done that hundreds and hundreds of times. So I start with my Navionics. I make my plan. And the good thing with Garmin is I've got the quick draw contours. So what I do is I actually map out. So on your normal contours, it comes up and on your normal line. So it'll say 10 metres, 20 metres, whatever it is. With my contours, I've got that normal map on my screen. But with the quick drawing contours, it draws it exactly what's underneath me. Okay. So I actually map the bottom and I can see exactly where the reef comes up, where it comes down. And that, that will show me where I want to put my divers in the water. If the boys are going in or if I'm mapping the bottom for myself to go in. And what I mean by that is when, as divers, you don't want to So say I'm diving in 15 meters of water. When I enter the water, I don't want to enter the water and fall to the deepest part of the reef. So I don't want to. I don't want to work your way down. I want to work my way down the reef. It's better for yourself. It's better for your body, and also you can find the edge quicker. And what I mean by that is, if I drop you, Pat, for instance, on the deep side in that fifteen meters, and the top of the ledge is ten, it might be harder for you to find that edge back where the crays are going to be on that edge of the ledge. So. Trying to drop your divers on the top of the ledge, and their boys can work either side of it, and they can make their plan of attack out on how they're going to work the bottom of the reef. So starting with your starting with your your maps first, Pat, into your sonar work, and then mapping it out with your quick draw contours, which a lot of units do have now. Uh, Garmin is the one that I use, so if you've got it, I would definitely be uh, be can, be using it.
1: John Coleman, Aaron, you mentioned that the snapper in the bay have blunt teeth. Is this because they eat different food, or is it due to spawning? As a few snapper I've gotten
2: recently have bites out of their tail. Uh, that's actually a really good question. Uh, very good question because I've actually caught a few snapper this season with bites out of their tails, and I've never thought about that. I generally haven't. It probably would be to do with their spawning. Squid and a lot of other fish get damaged spawning. Uh, myself, uh, <laughs> we. Um, no, seriously, it might be. It might be the spawning. You've you've. Pretty much put it put me on the spot there, John. I uh, I might actually find that I might ask Fisheries Victoria with that and come back for the answer for you next week because I have had numerous fish this year that is their tails. Pat it looks like they haven't even got a tail, so it like they literally get destroyed. So I think that's going to be a Fisheries Victoria answer for me. I might message Dallas and see if he can get back to me, and I'll uh, I'll answer that next week. Pat, what do you think? I like it, uh, Ross Clark. What is the best bait for gummies?
1: Or small sharks, land-based, how far out should you cut the bait? thinks Ross. Well, I think you can't go past Australian salmon, can you? You'd oh, like to use it
2: you've, for absolutely everything. you just nailed it on the head. Australian sa- anything, or any you're fishing offshore, for example, at the front of your house, Pat, there's a few nice reefs around, and what do those reefs hold? They hold reef fish. So don't be afraid while well, you got your big salmon chunk out. Drop down a lighter rod and try and catch a blue-throat ras, and you'll be able to use that ras. Uh now, back to that other half of that question, how far should you cast the bait out? You, If you're on, for example, the surf, you don't just cast it 200 metres out, but you're fishing on a sandbar, but there's a gutter inside of you that's running 30 metres out. You want to fish the deeper water where the gutters are running, along the edges of reefs or along the edges of, of a gutter. So... If you've got a reef that's going to be running, for instance, uh, just for instance, Kennet River, just prime example down at Kennet. You've got your, you've got your surf break along the edge there, and the deeper water is where the wave lifts and rolls through, and then you've got the shallow where it breaks. So you want to be rolling your baits in that deeper water off the edge of that reef, and that's where you're going to catch your gummies. If you head down at the front of your place, you've got a few you've got a few rips that run, you know, Fairhaven and the likes. There's a few rips that run down that way. You want to fish your bait on either side of that, where that deeper water is to do with that rip. So getting in the gutters, and that's where the gummies are going to come in and feed on the edges of the crabs, and that they get washed into that sort of water.
1: If you're looking at other species of sharks other than gummies, yep. redmond, if we fish typically from a boat, we're going to float the bait out on a balloon. Yep. Are you using the same sort of technique, or are you more inclined to cast it out? Because obviously you're dealing with a swell... Pushing the balloon back into shore, unless you're sort of working with an outgoing tide. How do you like to set up?
2: Yeah, to make it well, the thing. The thing is, when you tend to be surf fishing as, as such, you, you're going to be on northerly winds because it's offshore. Southerlies can be very hard to fish. Cold, miserable. Yep. Big swell. I'd, a balloon might work if you can get it to come out but the problem is you need to the problem with running a balloon unweighted is the bait's just going to drag on the ground and you're not going the balloon's not going to go anywhere yep. so I've caught a lot of bronzies off the beach and what I do is I fish the exact same way as I'm targeting a gummy shark but just a slightly bigger hook and I have about a metre of trace pad so a metre of wide trace or even 50 centimetres wide trace. And you actually run that trace and then have, you can buy traces from your tackle store that have a swivel on the end of it. And you can tie straight to that and have your normal rig behind it. So, and that'll cast out. Um, Another factor is if you've got a mate with a surfboard, you can get him to paddle your baits out. Seriously, a lot of people do that in kayaks and the likes. And you've also now, technology's grown a little bit, other than kayaks, you've got a thing called a drone, which Pat likes, so you can use drones too, but I would, it's just hard to get your baits out on the surf, and I know the guys that fish 90 miles down off lakes and that, they're, they're, a lot of them Them boys are draining big baits out on balloons, and letting that offshore northerly wind push their bait balloons out, and their baits are sitting up off the bottom a bit, so they, they'll they set their balloons, so the depth of the bait isn't actually dragging, it's just up off the bottom, so when Bruce comes along, you'll be able to eat that bait quite easily, and it's also not going to get destroyed from crabs and pickers and, and the likes. If you're looking for a fishing drone, we've reviewed them before,
1: but one of the ones that we really like is the Splash Drone 3, and there's a Fisherman Plus pack that you can get with it as well. So it has your catch and release mechanism. So basically you you, you put your your gear attached to it, and then once you fly it out, it will release in the spot that you want it to rel- uh, release
2: from. Drones come a long way, Patrick. I'm uh, going to give the prize away this week because you've given a couple in a row. Yep, like uh, that. A very good supporter of Real Adventures and myself with Soul Guy and the likes, John Coleman. I'm going to give it to John this week. He's fired in numerous questions and the reason I'm giving it to John is he just continues watching, listening to the show, he watches our shows and he supports us massively. So if you guys keep sending your, sending your message, your questions in and keep liking our photos and the likes, it's going to give you more chance to win the prize. So Patrick... Tell John what he's won. Well
1: done, John. You've won the Dometic CFX 3 with Ice Maker. Uh, They're available right through all your sort of outdoor stores, Anaconda, BCF, Tackle Worlds. Make sure you get in and check them out. John, for you, you don't have to get in and check them out because we are sending one (laughs) your way. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you download our Real Adventures app, send in a question, and if we answer it, and announce you as the winner. You take home a Dometic CFX3. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich. Get up to $150 cash back when you purchase four or more BF Goodrich passenger tyres. Get in before September 30.
0: On Real Adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic. Mobile living made easy.
1: Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for All Aboard for Dometic. Take control of your outdoor adventures like never before with the Dometic CFX 3. Our special guest this morning is Managing Director of Real Brand Fishing Apparel, Barry Sullivan. Good morning, Baz.
0: Morning, Patrick. How are you, bud?
1: Going well. Now, you've had a, uh, a very big week on the COD. It's been the opening to the, the COD season, which uh, excites everyone. That enjoys sort of freshwater fishing right throughout Victoria and New South Wales, and the fish really well this week, Baz.
0: Yeah, look, you know, especially after you know the COVID lockdown, um, you know, there was a lot of people normally really look forward to cod opening, but this year it was extra special, and you know, fortunately we got things under control well enough for, for us to go and enjoy some quality time with mates, and uh, yeah, put ourselves to the test to try and catch that iconic Murray cod. So
1: the areas that have fished well over the, the sort of past week, it, it's only just opening opened up on the, the 1st of December. Um, can you just talk through with us why it's important to have that closed season first and foremost?
0: Yeah, well, look, um, it, it is really important. Uh, from the 1st of September right through to the end of November is closed. That's, uh, and that's when, you know, you get a lot of um, spawning activity um, and the – the way the cod behave is they get, you know, they travel long distances to go to a spawning ground upriver, and when they uh, are protecting their eggs and then the babies, uh, they are very, very aggressive and very vulnerable. So, you know, if you were to, you know, drop a a lure in front of them, you know, whether they're hungry or not, they will attack that lure just to to basically warn it to stay away from. From their eggs or babies and you know it, it's good to make sure that when they're in that vulnerable stage you know that they are protected and can do their things to keep the uh, river systems healthy and sustainable for the fish population
1: they' a bit of a an odd um, there's an odd measure way of measuring Murray cod when it comes to what 's a an edible and catchable fish versus something that's undersized or oversized the minimum is fifty five the maximum' seventy five that's obviously to protect those really big breeding fish.
0: Exactly right. It, it does two things. It gives the juveniles a chance to, you know, to get through that vulnerable stage where, where they're a bit um, naive and, and will just about eat anything and they are prolific around the lakes and rivers, which is a great healthy sign. And then you know, that's up until the 55 centimetre um, beginning slot where you can keep them. And then the seventy-five centimetre and beyond, uh, and beyond for the top limit uh, really protects the, the breeders of the future. So yeah, it's, a, it's amazing how many cod you get that are between fifty and fifty-five centimetres. So yeah, you, you actually return quite a lot of fish. Uh,
1: you nailed an absolute monster a couple of days ago on Lake Eildon. Talk us through and talk us through the techniques you've sort of been using uh, to target well,
0: the, the cod. It wasn't actually a couple of days ago, I'll, I'll confess. Um, Fielding's a special um, uh, situation in that there is no closed season for cod. Uh, so I actually went out for a bit of a practice with a mate of mine, Andy Hill, uh, in the stadi and we were just, we got there super early and I was uh, flicking surface lures. Uh, and one I was particularly using was a mega jackal pompadour. It looks like a small plane banging across the surface and uh, yeah, it was about 20 past six in the morning after getting up about 3.30 to get there and uh, yeah, whooshka uh, up against the bank, this massive cod hit and um, my mate Andy was at the back of the boat and uh, he actually thought I'd fallen in. It, it exploded with that much noise <laughs> and then it was game on. Uh, you know, it was just using the, the baitcaster and, and a reasonable rod to try and... Control it and uh, try and work the electric motor at the same time and navigate the snags. But managed to do it, and Andy did a ripping job with the net. And uh, yeah, I was ecstatic. Uh, yeah, it's probably the, the it's the biggest cod I've caught on surface lure, and it was you know you know right up there, a bit less than a meter, but still a magnificent fish. And uh, yeah, it was re- released back into nature uh, with no damage done. And One very excited fisherman.
1: Uh, Look, as we start to sort of head in towards summer and the school holidays start, for those that haven't fished for cod before or looking to get into it with their their kids and with the family, what are your recommendations, best places to fish that's sort of accessible and easily accessible for families um, and just the techniques that you'd used in in order to, to chase them?
0: Yeah, well, look, a heap of us uh, regularly go down to uh, stay at a a house in Lake Mulwala. So if you do have access to a boat, you know, that is a spectacular place to fish for cod. Uh, The only thing was on cod opening, the wind was absolutely horrific. We knew there was going to be bad wind, um, but at the end of the day, it wasn't just unpleasant. It was dangerous. So we didn't fish in the lake uh, because of the waves and it was more like being out in the surf. Uh, so we, uh, you've always got a backup plan to fish the rivers. Uh, so, you know, the Murray River, the Ovens River, you know, the Murrumbidgee, there's so many rivers and streams around that hold cod. Uh, and you can, you don't need a boat, um, you know, you can fish off the bank uh, and you don't need, you know, your $4, $5 barty grubs um, that are like gold and, you know, you put them out there and it gets eaten by a carp, you start crying, you know, you can use the traditional, um, Mozzarella cheese uh, that works extremely well, is economic uh, and productive. And you know, for those who are looking for a bit more of a challenge, casting spinner baits, casting hard body lures, uh, getting up early in the morning and and using first light uh, for um, surface lures is a spectacular way to fish for cod. And just cast up against uh, you know any sort of structure, you know, submerged logs um, next to trees. You know, up against willows uh, you know it's, it's just a great way to fish and uh, you know any sort of um, you can use shrimp uh, also for good uh, good bait if you've got lucky enough to have bardie grubs they are an excellent bait uh, and you can also even use things like chicken strips believe it or not and uh, yeah they can they can uh, smash it on quite a variety of, of different baits and lures.
1: Baz, we really appreciate your time and joining us on Real Adventures this morning to talk about cod opening. Uh, It's certainly uh, something that plenty of Victorians and New South Welshmen love uh, doing. Thanks for your time this morning, Baz, and
0: enjoy the weekend. No worries. It's been a pleasure to be out there and, uh, yeah, can't wait to get back on the water.
1: Mary Sullivan, managing director of real brand apparel. It's time for reg review for auto one stocked with the biggest brands and best advice. We spoke last week on our real adventures show about crayfish and the equipment that you need. And we said we were going to review it. We're going to do that right now or Edmund.
2: We get a lot of questions regarding crayfish, Pat, of what you need and how to do it and where you do it. So just a, just a quick but relevant review with a few basics to get you guys started at home. Uh, depending if you want to dive, free dive, depending if you want to dive on tanks or if you want to dive on a hooker system, which is an air compressed system that pushes air through a tube down to yourself right at the bottom of the water. Let's start with free diving then, yep. The simplest if you're just
1: getting into it yourself.
2: Yeah, grab yourself a snorkel, leave it in the side of the boat and buy tanks because it's heaps easier. <laughs> 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 no, nah, so you can you can, buy, you can buy as expensive and as cheap as you want. I've, I've got a $300 set, of, I think about $280 set of ma- a mask at home that I've had for two years and I've got an $80 set that I had five, six years ago. And I still use that cheaper set than I do my new mask. I haven't even worn my new mask. The reason for that is my new mask, so my old mask is so worn to my head. And when you buy a new set of goggles, it is very hard. Not very hard, sorry, it just takes time to get them right. And what I mean by excuse me, what I mean by getting them right, I mean the fogging just keeps happening. They have a film. So a good way, if you do buy a mask for around 120 bucks, say, which will be a good mask for yourself, an average mask with a snorkel, That will, what it will do is you can run toothpaste over the inside of it and act as a cutters, and you'll actually take that layer of film off, Pat, which is the bit that fogs up. You can also buy fog, uh, fog-resistant spray, I guess you call it. It's like a gel as well that comes in that you can put it on before you go down. You need a wetsuit. Now, I've got a Cressy wetsuit, I think it is, and I think I paid $250 online, and it's a a six mil. I go six mil because I do not like being cold. You don't have to spend $1,000. I only dive during the warmer months because I don't enjoy diving when it's cold. It's not something I like to do. So So if if you're a surfer... And you've got your four three, is yep. that gonna be good enough? It's gonna be fine in summer, obviously. But it will if you definitely deeper. definitely work, but the four three gets cold on me. It's not great. It's uh it will work if you're just trying to get into it. And the thing with snorkeling and, and we're we're talking about free diving from at the moment. The difference between free diving and having um having your uh having tanks is you're quite active free diving, so you're actually a lot warmer. So you're constantly up, down, swimming around. Where a tank, you're just cruising along the bottom at temperature, at that same temperature at 15 metres. Well, if you're an average free diver, you're only going down three metres, maybe five metres. I've yep. said average. I'm not talking about experts, just your normal punters. Yep. So your free dive, you need your goggles and snorkel. You need your wetsuit. You need booties, which you can get them for 30 bucks from Rip Curl, any brand, doesn't matter. You can grab flippers. Uh, I don't have anything fancy. I, you can bet $120 bucks you will pick up a good set of flippers for. And that's like that's about right. And I, I know I bought a set last year for the same price. does me the job. Something really important that you do need, and this is for... So what I'm covering now is basically the accessories for all of the diving I'm talking about because the free diving will come into all of it. So take that on board. Is a weight belt. Now, if you're a shallow diver, for example, free diving, you'll need more weights to get down to the bottom. The thicker your wetsuit, the more you're going to float... So it's going to be harder. So if you're only diving three to five meters, free diving, it's hard to stay down the bottom. So you'll need extra weights. You might need, it might be four weights for yourself. It might need seven weights for yourself. You just get a weight belt. I think mine has just one, two, three, four. I think I've got five pockets that I run a kilo and a half weights in. So, if I'm diving shallow, I actually end up putting two dive weights into those front pockets just to get me down shallower, to hold me on the bottom because I'm on tanks to get me down to the bottom. And that's the same you're going to need with free diving too, because it's very hard to stay down the bottom, but you'll need to do that depending on your size of your body and the size of the wetsuit you've got. Now, I'll go into the reef stuff in a second. Just going to go into tanks quickly. Tanks are expensive. They're 400 bucks each. You need to get them serviced every year, which is quite a bit of money too. But I really like tanks. I think they're safe. A bit different to the hooker system. You run out of air, you have to come up. You can't get the bends as such. You can if you do the wrong thing, but I'm talking average. We're on the hooker system. If I find a crayfish 45 minutes and I know I need to come up because my dive watch is telling me to come up, I see that crayfish. I'm probably going to keep going till I get that crayfish. So it could be an hour later, and it could get me sick. So that's why I like tanks. I have to come up when I run out of air. The deeper you go, the quicker the air goes. So it shrinks, expands as you come up. So there's so many different avenues to we can talk about today. But I'm just going to get back into it before I get off track. Tanks, 400 bucks. The wetsuit we've spoken about. You need a BC, which is a jacket. You can buy a whole kit, which is your BC. Your your regulators, and they even throw in computers now that go on your on your wrist, which is pretty much the main stuff that you need. And you're going to be looking at maybe a thousand bucks. You might even find some for discounted for eight hundred, and you can get right up to obviously five grand if you want to spend that. But I only have a thousand dollar set, and it does great for me. Free diving the hooker, they can be about two and a half to three grand in themselves. You need to change filters regularly. They work really well. You've got unlimited air. Great for shallow diving, not super good for deep diving. They don't, on your average hooker system. So, but the good thing with that is you have nothing on your body other than your weight belt and you can get into crevices where crays are much easier than you can with dive tanks sitting on your back. So pretty much summed up what you need with the rough prices and the areas you're going to look for is any reefy system anywhere. Basically, it's the easiest way to explain it. They're Southern Rock Lobster. They live in rocks and reefs. So if you can go out there between two meters of water anywhere, right up to as deep as you can dive, you're going to find yourselves crayfish. So for a good set, for just just quickly, Pat, for a good set of diving for a hooker with all the gear, you're probably looking at three to four grand. Uh, you're also looking at uh, probably maybe for the dive tanks, maybe 1500 in total, maybe 1800 in total with two dive tanks, which you need. And the free diving is obviously quite a bit cheaper. But if you are looking at buying some gear, you've got divegearaustralia.com.au, and they've got some great bargains on at the moment, which will uh, which will put you in the right stead for for, up, for your upcoming dive season. That's red review.
1: You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. Welcome back to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich, celebrating 150 years. It's time for Red's Tip. We're focusing on trailering this week, Redmond, as we head well into summer now. But as we start to, you know, the, the borders have relaxed now, we can start to visit new places trailering becomes one of those things that you don't often think
2: about when it comes to fishing, but plenty can go wrong. I was launching at Western Port earlier in the week. Oh, early in last Monday, last week. And I had a fella there that could not get his ratchet straps off Bat He had to cut them because obviously he hadn't fished in a long time. They'd rusted. And he said to me, the pressure comes on the, out of the pred- boat ramp. Yeah, People he, are watching. He was like white wool behind him. and he's like trying to get it off and he couldn't get it. He ended up cutting with a knife. And he goes, I haven't used the boat since this time last year. So he didn't check them. Another guy during the week when I went to go offshore, his d shackle would not come undone on the front of his boat. And with the pliers, he still could not get it off. (laughs) He was wrenching it. So just a couple of maintenance checks is your straps at your back of your boat, your ratchet straps are extremely important. Get yourself a new set if they're starting to rust out and not work. And I know Pat and I, myself and yourself, we had dramas in Portland with your ratchet straps. I think we had to cut one off too. Maybe because I hadn't used it in six months. (laughs) The ratchet straps need to be cut off. You, for, you, for you, not cut off. Sorry, you need to have new ratchet straps, so you don't have to cut them off. D shackles checked not only this, winch handles. A lot of people leave them sitting on the actual bolt itself, or the shackle itself, and they fall off a hell of a lot. Some are built onto it these days, which a lot of them are, but a lot of them aren't. So they will fall off. Make sure you've got a bloody winch handle because nothing worse than asking your mate for a shifter. So there's so many different things to check, especially your trailer lights. There's so many people that I see driving to the ramp that have no trailer lights on or half of it's not working. So check your trailer lights before you go. Nothing worse than, Heading down the highway and copping a fine off a of copper for doing for not having an indicator or the likes, even having someone run up your backside too, Pat. So get your trailer checked, check your bearings, and basically just just be ready to go fishing because there's nothing worse than getting down to the ramp like I did last week and leaving my keys for the boat on the bench because someone took them out of my ignition, <coughs> Robbie, and he took them out and put them inside Pat. And I went to start my boat as I went to trim the engine down. And with when the new Mercs, when you actually want to use your trim, you got to have your your, your uh, accessories on. And Gibbsy backed the boat in. And I went to turn the I went to trim the engine down. Didn't work. Went to start the key key wasn't there but the spare one was in the glove box but the problem was my glove box key was on the other set of keys
1: (laughs) oh god that is red's tip making sure that all your trailering equipment is well set up as aaron said Uh, ratchet tie downs spare wheel and rim and tires. make sure that you've got one of those um We spoke about, obviously, our winch handles and then the trailer lights, making sure you double-check those before you go out on your next adventure. Time for the Flying Gaff. And the Flying Gaff this week is pretty simple. We mentioned it in our fishing news off the top of the show, but one agricultural after they... Uh, accidentally lost 50,000 Atlantic (laughs) salmon, which escaped from one of their Tasmanian fish farms. They get the flying gaff this week. If you're in the region, make sure you head out and catch some Atlantic salmon. And they're actually also asking, Aaron, anyone that does catch any of these Atlantic salmon um, to gut it and then keep a record of what was actually in the fish's stomach um, so they can actually... um, study that and, and look at the environmental impact so you, you can actually report it as well. So we'd encourage people to do that. Uh, thank you for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. We hope you enjoyed the show. It's time for us to go fishing, Redmond. You've been listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich celebrating
2: 150 years.